Well, good morning. Today is Easter Sunday. Today we celebrate that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining us for worship online today. You know, I'm sad that we can't actually gather together, but I loved how we started the service. I love seeing all those happy faces and hearing those shouts of joy. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Today we celebrate that Jesus is alive. This June, Langley and I will celebrate our 15th wedding anniversary. And I still remember the day we got married when she walked into the room. It was the first time I'd seen her that day and it was the first time I'd seen her in her wedding dress. And she took my breath away. She was gorgeous. And then everyone stood and turned and watched her as she came down the aisle. And when Langley walked into the room that day, she changed the room. And she changed my life. It was an unforgettable moment. You know, the Gospel of John tells us about another unforgettable moment when someone walked into the room, when the risen Jesus walked into a room filled with his disciples. It changed their life and it changed the world forever. And because Jesus is alive today, he can come into your life and he can change your life. So I want to invite you to look at John chapter 20. If you want to grab a Bible, we're going to look at what John tells us about that moment. We're going to put the words on the screen too. But to give you some context, Jesus died on a Friday. And then his disciples were gathered in this room on Sunday night. And all during the day, rumors had been going around because some of Jesus' disciples had gone to the tomb and found that it was empty. Jesus' body was missing. And then another of his disciples, Mary Magdalene, actually said she had seen Jesus alive. And so John tells us what happened that night in the room. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord because Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. When Jesus walked into that room, he turned their world upside down. So the first thing I want us to see is that Jesus brought them the truth they were looking for. You know, truth right now in our culture is up for grabs. What's true for you is not necessarily true for me. What I feel is true is true. But sometimes we just want the truth. 
I mean, I can tell you right now, when I turn the news on and I see Dr. Fauci, I don't want him to tell me what he thinks the truth is for him. I want him to tell me what's true about the coronavirus. I want him to tell me what I should and shouldn't do as far as my health goes, because he's a doctor and he knows. See, sometimes we don't want kind of the relativity answer. We want to know what is true. And Thomas wanted to know what was true. He wanted evidence of what had happened to Jesus. He wasn't just willing to take someone else's word for it. He wasn't willing because the stakes were so high. He wasn't willing just to take a blind leap of faith. Because if Jesus really did rise from the dead, it does change everything. It means that there is a God and that he creates life and sustains life. It means that Jesus himself was God. It means that Jesus really did defeat sin and evil and death. If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. And so maybe, like Thomas, you want evidence. Evidence of something that seems unbelievable. You want the truth, and you're not interested in just taking someone else's word for it. The resurrection offers truth, the truth that we're looking for. The resurrection is an historical event that we can consider and trust and build our lives on. It's evidence of the risen Jesus. And so when Jesus came into the room that night and Thomas was there that second time, he looked at him and he said, I want you to touch my hands and I want you to put your hand on my side. And Thomas did. And he came to the only logical conclusion that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. And he cried out and said, my Lord and my God. Now, it may surprise you to know that there is significant evidence of the resurrection. Jesus wasn't just some mythical figure. There's historical evidence. And so what is the evidence? Well, what other plausible explanation could there be for the empty tomb? This is a question people have asked. The tomb was guarded by armed soldiers, and so it would have been difficult to steal. And if someone did steal it, why not just produce the body to prove that he really was dead? And if there was a conspiracy by his followers, where is the evidence? What about the fact that Jesus appeared after his death to over 500 people? The gospel writer's description of the resurrection has the true ring of eyewitness accounts, not ancient mythologies. His followers, for example, were afraid. They struggled to comprehend what had happened with Jesus' resurrection. It didn't make sense to them any more than it makes sense to us. And then consider the transformation of his followers from hiding and ashamed to empowered proclaimers of Jesus. I mean, after the resurrection, they became joyful, courageous, willing to risk their lives to tell others about Jesus. And then consider their testimony. It was so powerful and compelling that Christianity spread across the Roman Empire, not by military conquest, but house to house, city to city, crossing racial and ethnic and socioeconomic barriers. And then finally, how else do we explain the millions of people down through history whose lives have been radically changed by a personal encounter with the living Jesus? You know, historian and New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says, given the evidence, the most plausible explanation of the historical evidence is the most improbable one. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And whether or not you believe it actually happened, it's hard to deny that the raising of Jesus is the most pivotal moment in human history. You see, something extraordinary happened and it changed his followers and it changed the world. And the resurrection of Jesus is the best possible explanation. And so Jesus brings us the truth that we're looking for. Jesus also brings us the peace that we're longing for. The peace that we're longing for. Imagine what it must have felt like for Jesus' followers. They had followed him for years, given their life to him. They, they loved this man. They'd seen him do amazing miracles, heard him give incredible teaching, and they thought he was their hero. And then he died. The Gospels tell us that in Jesus' hour of need, his closest friends abandoned him. Peter, one of Jesus' inner circle, denied even knowing Jesus. He denied him three times. You see, as they were gathered there in that room, they weren't just afraid, they were ashamed. They were ashamed of what they had done, and they were racked with guilt. You know, we've all done things for which we feel guilty and ashamed, things that we don't want anyone else to know, things that... Uh, about our past that that we regret, things we wish that we could take back, that we would do differently. And we carry around the guilt and the pain. We carry around the shame from those things with us. And we wish we could find relief. We wish we could find peace. But what we feel is shame. You know how you know the voice of shame I do. I've heard the voice of shame in my own life. This is what the voice of shame sounds like. It says, you didn't just do something wrong. There's something wrong with you. It says, you didn't just do something bad. It says, you are a bad person. If people only knew who you really were, if people only knew what you'd done, that you're inadequate, that you're a horrible person, that you're disgusting, that you're unlovable. The voice of shame can destroy your life. And it's a burden that can become unbearable. Not long ago, I was listening to a podcast where a woman was sharing her own struggles with shame. And this is what she said. On April 5th, 2015, Easter Sunday, I went to church for the first time in 23 years. Having struggled with same-sex attraction, my early experience with the church left me hating myself, who I was and what I was. I didn't believe that anyone could love me. I thought God hated me. And then I met a pastor who, when I shared my struggles, he looked at me in the eyes and he told me he loved me unconditionally for who I was, no matter what. He was the first person in my life to ever say this to me. And he showed me by opening the Bible that God loved me unconditionally and that he always forgives. Later, she added that it had been a long road. But then she said, I began to understand the transforming love of Jesus Christ. I began to understand Jesus' grace by experiencing the love and grace of a few people in my church. Maybe you can relate to this story, 
to the pain and the shame. Maybe in your own story, you've been trying to cope with that pain and the guilt through alcohol or through pornography or through work or achievement. You know, I think we're really good at hiding, at looking like everything is great on the outside when really underneath we're hurting. And no matter what we do, the pain and the shame won't go away. And maybe you even think that God isn't a safe place for you to turn, that that God couldn't actually love you or forgive you, that he'll reject you. But here's the great news of the resurrection. It's that that Sunday night, God himself, Jesus, walked into a room full of people racked with guilt and shame, and he didn't condemn them. Instead, He had gone to the cross and he had taken their guilt and their shame and he had dealt with it there. He walked into that room and what he said was, peace, shalom. He offered them healing and forgiveness and wholeness. He offered them life. He said, peace be with you. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Isaiah 53. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. It was our sins. He took the punishment and he made us whole. See, the resurrected Jesus walked into that room and he offered them peace. I have a friend uh, who once said, in Jesus, your sins have been nailed to the cross. So stop nailing yourself to the cross. Jesus knows everything you've ever done. And he's coming to you and he's choosing you. He's choosing to love you and to offer you forgiveness and to breathe life into you, to give you his very spirit. You see, it's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done for you. See, Jesus brings you the peace that you're longing for. And then finally, Jesus is the joy that we're looking for. Jesus is the joy that we're looking for. That Sunday evening, the disciples were behind locked doors because they were afraid. Now, we know what that feels like. Now, they were afraid because they'd just seen their leader crucified by the authorities. And so they thought the same thing would happen to them. So they were hiding. They were afraid. But right now, around the world, I mean, think about this. Around the world, people are locked down, hiding in their houses. Why? Because they're afraid. They're afraid of this virus. They're afraid of dying. Now, no one wants to die, but there's a difference between staying alive and avoiding death. And many of us wanna live in a world where we avoid death. We don't wanna talk about it and we don't wanna think about it because we're afraid. But there's a problem. The problem is that we all die long before we'd ever heard of anything called COVID-19. 
People were dying all over the world every day, every moment, prematurely and painfully. See, death is not a probability, it's a certainty. What's happening around the world right now is a tragedy of historic proportions. On Wednesday, I heard that an American died every 40 seconds of the day. Right now, we are being confronted with the inevitability of death. The question is, what do we do with death? What do we do with our fear of death? Jesus doesn't want you to live in fear of death. For Jesus, death no longer has power. We don't fear death now because Jesus defeated death by his own death. The good news of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that he died in our place and he overcame death, that the grave cannot hold him. You know, I love when we sing those words, death could not hold you, the veil tore before you, you silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring the praise of your glory for you raised to life again. And when Jesus walked out of the tomb that day and he walked into that room, they were filled with joy because he was alive, but also because he had defeated death. He had overcome the grave. I heard a great story the other day about a father and a son who took a road trip. And it was a beautiful day, so they had the windows down and a bee flew into the car. And the little boy said, Daddy, Daddy, the bee's gonna sting me. And the dad, being a dad and doing what dads do, he reached out and grabbed the bee out of midair and he held it in his hand. And a few moments later, he opened up his hand and he let it fly out. And the little boy said, Daddy, Daddy, the bee's still alive, it's gonna sting me. And the dad looked at the little boy and he showed him his hand and he said, see, the bee's already stung me. I've taken the sting out of the bee. It can't hurt you anymore. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus has taken the sting out of death. We all will die, but we don't have to be afraid of death anymore because in Jesus, death has become like a doorway that we pass through into the rest of our life with him. The Gospel of John says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not die, but will live with God forever. Because of what happened on that first Easter Sunday, because Jesus rose from the dead, we don't have to fear death anymore and we can know a joy that nothing can ever take from us. On that first Easter Sunday, When Jesus walked into the room, he changed the world. He changed everything forever. And he made it possible for us to know real truth and to know lasting peace and deep joy. And I wanna encourage you, if you've never experienced that, if you've never taken that step to to begin a journey with Jesus, to invite him into your life, because he'll never force himself. But if you wanna invite Jesus into your life, I wanna take a few moments as we end today and just create space for you to do that. Maybe you've been going to church your whole life. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of Jesus. 
But I wanna tell you, you'll never regret this decision. It's the best choice you could ever make to give your life to Jesus. And so what I wanna invite you to do is just to pray a simple prayer with me. And so if you wanna bow your head and just close your eyes wherever you are, and you can say these words after me, uh, either out loud or you can just say them silently in your heart. But let me invite you, would you pray with me? Just pray these words after me. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I'm sorry for the people I've hurt and the ways I've hurt myself. I can't do this on my own anymore. I've tried, I've made a mess. And now if there's anything specific that you wanna tell Jesus you're sorry for, just go ahead and and do that. Again, you can say that out loud if you want, but you can say it silently. God can hear you. Jesus, forgive me. Thank you for taking all my sin, my guilt and shame on the cross and forgiving me. Thank you for new life and a fresh start with you. Please come into my life. Breathe your Holy Spirit into me. Fill me with hope and with joy. Give me the strength to follow you. Amen. I wanna encourage you, if you prayed that prayer today, let somebody know. If you know someone that's following Jesus, tell them what happened in your life today. And if you wanna reach out to us at Apostles Houston, um, you can connect with us, uh, the email below. We would love to encourage you as you begin this new journey with Jesus. And, and there are other people here that are learning what it means to follow Jesus, and we'd love for you to join us. I want to thank you again for worshiping with us today, and I hope you have a wonderful Easter Sunday.